0: Chapter 36 of Dope. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. Dope by Sax Romer. Chapter 36 Sam Tuck Moves. Chinatown was being watched as Chinatown. Had never been watched before, even during the most stringent enforcement of the Defence of the Realm Act. K Division was on its mettle, and Scotland Yard had sent to aid Chief Inspector Carey every man that could be spared to the task. The river police, too, were aflame with zeal, for every officer in the service whose work lay east of London Bridge had appropriated to himself the stigma implied by the creation of lord Rexborough's commission corners in foodstuffs metals and other indispensable commodities are appreciated by every man because every man knows such things to exist but a corner in drugs was something which the east end police authorities found very difficult to grasp they could not free their minds of the traditional idea that every second chinaman in the causeway was a small importer. They were seeking a hundred lesser stores instead of one greater one. Not all Sexton's quiet explanations nor Carey's savage language could wean the higher local authorities from their ancient beliefs. They failed to conceive the idea of a wealthy syndicate conducted by an educated Chinaman and backed, covered, and protected by a crooked gentleman, an accomplished man of affairs perhaps they knew and perhaps they knew not that during the period ruled by dora as much as twenty-five pounds was paid by habitus for one pipe of shandu. the power of gold is often badly estimated by an official whose horizon is marked by a pension this is mere lack of imagination and no more reflects discredit upon a man than lack of hair on his crown or of color in his cheeks nevertheless it may prove very annoying towards the close of an afternoon which symbolized the worst that london's particular climate can do in the matter of drizzling rain and gloom chief inspector carey carrying an irritable toy spaniel came out of a turning which forms a v with limehouse canal into a narrow street which runs parallel with the thames he had arrived at the conclusion that the neighbourhood was sown so thickly with detectives that one could not throw a stone without hitting one yet cincinois had quietly left his abode and had disappeared from official ken three times within the past ten minutes the spaniel had tried to bite carrie nor was carrie blind to the amusement which his burden had occasioned among the men of k division whom he had met on his travels. Finally, as he came out into the riverside lane, the ill tempered little animal essayed a fourth and successful attempt, burying his wicked white teeth in the chief inspector's wrist. Kerry hooked his finger into the dog's collar, swung the yapping animal over his head, and hurled it from him into the gloom and rain mist. Hell, take the blasted thing! he shouted i'm done with it he tenderly sucked his wounded wrist and picked up his cane which he had dropped he looked about him and swore savagely of seaton pasha he had had news several times during the day and he was aware that the home office agent was not idle but to that old rivalry which had leapt up anew when he had seen seaton near kennington oval Had succeeded a sort of despair so that now he would have welcomed the information that seaton had triumphed where he had failed a furious hatred of the one-eyed chinaman around whom he was convinced the mystery centered had grown up within his mind at that hour he would gladly have resigned his post and sacrificed his pension to know that cincin was under lock and key his outlook was official and accordingly peculiar he regarded the murder of sir lucian pine and the flight or abduction of mrs monty irvin as mere minor incidents in a case where sinsinwa figured as the chief culprit nothing had acted so powerfully to bring about this conviction in the mind of the chief inspector as the inexplicable disappearance of the chinaman under circumstances which had apparently precluded such a possibility a whimpering cry came to carrie's ears and because beneath the mask of ferocity which he wore a humane man was concealed flames he snapped perhaps i've broken the poor little devil's leg shaking a cascade of water from the brim of his neat bowler he set off through the murk towards the spot from whence the cries of the spaniel seemed to proceed A few paces brought him to the door of the dirty little shop. In a window close beside it appeared the legend, Sam Tuck, Barber. The spaniel crouched by the door, whining and scratching, and as Carey came up it raised its beady black eyes to him with a look which, while it was not unfearful, held an unmistakable appeal. Carey stood watching the dog for a moment, and as he watched, he became conscious of an exhilarated pulse. He tried the door and found it to be open. Thereupon, he entered a dirty little shop, which he remembered to have searched in person in the grey dawn of the day, which now was entering upon a premature dusk. The dog ran in past him, crossed the gloomy shop, and raced down into a tiny coal cellar, which likewise had been submitted during the early hours of the morning to careful scrutiny under the directions of the chief inspector a chinese boy who had been the only occupant of the place on that occasion and who had given his name as ah Fung, was surprised by a sudden entrance of man and dog in the act of spreading coal dust with his fingers upon a portion of the paved floor he came to his feet with a leap and confronted carrie the spaniel began to scratch feverishly upon the spot where the coal dust had been artificially spread kerry's eyes gleamed like steel he shot out his hand and grasped the chinaman by his long hair open that trap he said or i'll break you in half ah fung's oblique eyes regarded him with an expression difficult to analyze but partly it was murder he made no attempt to obey the order Meanwhile, the dog, whining and scratching furiously, had exposed the greater part of a stone slab, somewhat larger than those adjoining it, and having a large crack or fissure in one end. "'For the last time,' said Kerry, drawing the man's head back so his breath began to whistle through his nostrils, "'Open that trap!' As he spoke he released Ah Fung, and Ah Fung made one wild leap towards the stairs, Kerry's caught him behind the ear as he sprang, and he went down like a dead man upon a small heap of coal which filled the angle of the cellar. Breathing rapidly, and having his teeth so tightly clenched that his maxillary muscles protruded lumpishly, Kerry stood looking at the fallen man, but our Fung did not move. The dog had ceased to scratch, and now stood uttering short staccato barks, and looking up at the chief inspector otherwise there was no sound in the house, above or below. Carey stooped, and with his handkerchief scrupulously dusted the stone slab. The spaniel, resentment forgotten, danced excitedly beside him, and barked continuously. "'There's some sort of hook to fit in that crack,' muttered Carey. He began to hunt among the debris which littered one end of the cellar testing fragment after fragment but failing to find any piece of scrap to suit his purpose by sheer perseverance rather than by any other process of reasoning he finally hit upon the piece of bent wire which was the key to his door of sin sin moi's drug warehouse one short exclamation of triumph he muttered at the moment that his glance rested upon it and five seconds later he had the trap-door open and was peering down into the narrow pit, in which wooden steps rested. The spaniel began to bark wildly, whereupon Kerry grasped him, tucked him under his arm, and ran up to the room above, where he deposited the furiously wriggling animal. He stepped quickly back again and closed the upper door. By this act he plunged the cellar into complete darkness, and accordingly he took out from the pocket of his rain-drenched overall the electric torch which he always carried directing its ray downwards into the cellar he perceived ah Fung move and toss his hand above his head he also detected a faint rattling sound ah said kerry he descended and stooping over the unconscious man extracted from the pocket of his baggy blue trousers four keys upon a ring at these kerry stared eagerly two of them belonged to yale locks the third was a simple english barrel key which probably fitted a padlock but the fourth was large and complicated looks like the key of a jail he said aloud he spoke with unconscious presence this was the key of the door of the vault removing his overall carrie laid it with his cane upon the scrap-heap then he climbed down the ladder and found himself in the mouth of a low-timbered tunnel like a trench-work which owed its existence to the cunning craftsmanship of stooping uncomfortably he made his way along the passage until the massive door confronted him he was in no doubt as to which key to employ his mental condition was such that he was indifferent to the dangers which probably lay before him The well-oiled lock operated smoothly. Carey pushed the door open, and stepped briskly into the vault. His movements from the moment that he opened the trap had been swift, and as nearly noiseless as the difficulties of the task had permitted. Nevertheless they had been so silent as to escape the attention of the preternaturally acute Sinsinois. Carry found the place occupied only by the aged Sam Tuck. A bright fire burned in the stove, and a ship's lantern stood upon the counter. Dense chemical fumes rendered the air difficult to breathe, but the shelves, once laden with the largest illicit collection of drugs in London, were bare. Carry's fierce eyes moved right and left. His jaws worked automatically. Sam Tuck sat motionless his hands concealed in his sleeves bending decrepitly forward in his chair then hi guy fawkes rapped kerry striding forward who's been letting off fireworks sam tuck nodded senilely but spoke not a word kerry stooped and stared into the heart of the fire a dense coat of white ash lay upon the embers he grasped the shoulder of the aged chinaman and pushed him back so that he could look into the bleary eyes behind the owlish spectacles. Been cleaning up the evidence, eh? he shouted. This joint stinks of opium and a score of other dopes. Where are the gang? He shook the yielding ancient frame. Where's the smart with one eye? But Sam Tuck merely nodded, and as Kerry released his hold, sank forward again. Nodding incessantly. Hm, you're a hard case, said the chief inspector. A couple of witnesses like you and the jury would retire to Bedlam. He stood glaring fiercely at the limp frame of the old chinaman, and as he glared his expression changed. Lying on the dirty floor not a yard from Sam Tuck's feet was a ball of leaf opium. Ha! exclaimed Carey, and he stooped to pick it up. As he did so with a lightning movement of which the most astute observer could never have supposed him capable, Sam Tuck whipped a loaded rubber tube from his sleeve, and struck Kerry a shrewd blow across the back of the skull. The chief inspector, without word or cry, collapsed upon his knees, and then fell gently forward, forward, and toppled, face downwards, before his assailant. His bowler fell off and rolled across the dirty floor. Sam Tuck sank deeply into his chair, and his toothless jaws worked convulsively. The skinny hand which clutched the piece of tubing twitched and shook, so that the primitive deadly weapon fell from its wielder's grasp. Silently, that set of empty shelves nearest to the inner wall of the vault slid open, and since Inwa came out, He too carried his hands tucked in his sleeves, and his yellow pockmarked face wore its eternal smile. Well done, he crooned softly in Chinese. Well done, bald father of wisdom. The dogs draw near, but the old fox sleeps not. End of chapter thirty six. Recording by John Brandon.